Hello, it's Wednesday, February the 9th, and this is the Andrew Pearce Show coming as ever from the Daily Mail newsroom. Adele, she wowed them at the Brits and she was controversial. She said she loves being a woman. Football, how could West Ham have even considered putting the cat kicker on the pitch? One sponsor's already withdrawn. We're talking about men's mental health. The politicians threatened by the anti-vaxxers outside Parliament, including Keir Starmer and the Shadow Foreign Secretary, David Lammy. They've also targeted Michael Gove, who is, of course, the Housing Secretary. But first, now the official government financial watchdog says the national insurance rise in April will be directly impacting most people who will get lower wage rises because, of course, employers have to pay the increased tax too. Chancellor, why are you doing it? So small businesses are the latest to call on the government to abandon the 1.25% hike in national insurance, which comes into effect in April. They say the move is anti-jobs, anti-small business and anti-startup. The Federation of Small Businesses has also warned it will cause a reduction in apprenticeships, which will hit young people's future prospects. The Federation has accused the government also of breaking manifesto promises to support small enterprise. Craig Bowman is Chief of External Affairs at the Federation of Small Business and joins me now. Craig, I can't for the life of me understand why they're doing it. They say it's to pay for reducing waiting lists in the NHS and we read in the papers today that despite the £12 billion, it's going to generate no reduction in waiting lists for another two years. Well, I mean, if you look at the manifesto from 2019, we really want this government to get back to business, to get back to what it, the vision it put forward of, you know, low tax conservatism. Where is that at the moment um, for it to yeah, address the jobs tax, which actually was a David Cameron, George Osborne named, um, how they named employer national insurance about how to reduce it and create jobs. And instead, this government is going to be increasing it. And while there's all this kind of chatter about, you know, a last minute, perhaps pre-election income tax cut of one penny. A, that's not enough and doesn't, doesn't even go far enough to kind of re- reverse any of this. And secondly, I think people are cleverer than some people think. So I think we've got to have that real back to what is this government for? And if it's for increasing tax and increasing spend, and government spend is absolutely very, very high at the moment, but you've also got the highest tax burden since, 19, since the 1950s. Oh, it's, it's extraordinary. Um, we're running a spike the, spike the tax hike campaign. Now, the Office for Budget Responsibility, no less, says that 80% of the rise in national insurance will be passed through to workers via lower nominal wages because, of course, employers have to pay more too. It's not just employees. That's right. So we've done some analysis on this. And, you know, the average small business of, say, seven or eight people will pay about £3,000 more uh, so it's it's a you know it's the vast majority of the of, I think it's about seven eight billion of the twelve billion will be paid that has to come from somewhere and as a small business owner you've probably got two options one of them is to increase your prices uh, and the other is to look at your wage bill and work out how you can compensate for this sudden increased um, removal and I'm afraid there is going to be some very tough decisions with a small business if it increases its prices too much then it becomes uncompetitive and if it obviously uh, cuts pay or reduces hours, um, you know, that has a horrible impact on people's lives. Just at the moment that inflation is rising as well, you've got the government effectively taking people's pay rises um, because that pay rise that you're expecting or hoping for in April will probably be subsumed into this to try and maintain pay. And this is all bad news. Um, so the appointment of Andrew Griffiths um, into the government's policy unit 
he's a business person. He understands these things. Um, and, and we know that he's uh, in favour of low taxes. So we would like to see some policy work done on this ready for the spring statement, uh, which is due, what, in about six weeks' time. And they are able to make changes on national insurance at that moment, uh, and particularly on things like the employment allowance, which would, um, uh, expanding that, would actually take the sting out of this for the smallest businesses who are the most fragile. So just, just run that past me again. So in six weeks' time, when is, the op- when is this opportunity for them to have a rethink or to, 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 to at least modify the rise? So on 23rd of March, there's a, a fiscal event. I think it's going to be called a spring statement, but we don't know right. it's called yet. So yes. it's a bit like a spring budget. Yeah. Uh, and they can increase the employment allowance, which currently, if you're a small business, it currently covers the first 4,000 of your national insurance bill for all your staff. Right. And we're saying if you increase that to 5,000, you'll actually take a huge swathe of the smallest businesses out mm. of it. It doesn't take the PWCs out of it. It doesn't take right. huge companies out of it. Yes. It takes the ones who are most fragile. Well, that's very interesting, isn't it? And, of course, we shouldn't forget also um, personal allowances are going to be frozen too in April, which is going to hit mm-hmm. people directly in the pocket and also um, probably less of an issue for your... Uh, uh, well, maybe it is an issue because it's about profitability. Corporation tax is also going to rise. It's a triple whammy. I mean, everything is going up. And you, go, you look at inflation and you think, well, if you're a small business and you up your prices, then you help to force up inflation which, of course, is stoking up. It's currently, what, 5.4%, mm. forecast up to 7%. Mm. I mean, we're going back years now for inflation to be at this level. you know. And then you had the Bank of England governor saying, hold back your request for pay rises, uh, at the same time as the government in October at party conference was saying everyone needs a pay rise. It's all looking really uneconomic to, to us. It doesn't make much sense. And even in the levelling up white paper uh, that was out um, the other day, there was a call for an increase of 200,000 people in high-skilled training. And, of course, apprenticeships are the vast majority of that. And the latest apprenticeship stats are going down. So we see, you know, it's fallen from about 500,000 a year in 2016 to about 325. So you've lost 200,000, and yet there's an aim to increase. And this tax will affect a number of people who are apprenticeships because apprentices do pay employee national insurance. And if you're, um, if you're 25 or over, then the employer pays employer national insurance as well so it's hitting as many people as they can at once but to a significant degree and i don't think this is what the driving purpose of this government should be i suppose to be devil's advocate uh, craig um they will uh, they would say if the rich answer was in this discussion did i the level of debts we've got now because of covid and shutting down the economy because of covid are eye-watering and he doesn't want to add to the tax to the bill doesn't want to make debt any higher by borrowing more but we have seen that the borrowing figures have come in about an estimated 13 billion pounds lower than we the government expected and that ni rise is going to generate 12 billion so isn't that job done well yes you see see tax revenues rising you see the borrowing costs still being kept low uh, and all and they're they're able to pay back that earlier so on the public expenditure, that's actually looking pretty stable. Uh, but if you look at this tax, there are other ways to do what the government wants to do. You know, for example, people who are you know, pensioners and landlords don't come into this tax. It's just right. employees, small businesses and uh, the self-employed. So actually, even if you set up in business, it's suddenly more expensive to do it. But they could cut expenditure. I mean, we've had a look and the number of civil servants employed by the government has increased every quarter since 2016. Yeah. You know, Whitehall is now 30% more expensive to run. The reason why GDP went up, one of the reasons, was that public expenditure increased in the economy from 6% to 8%. So 
So if the government were to get real on cutting government waste where it's less effective, and I think you could actually have a huge increase in available expenditure if you were to do that. But it's, it's just, it, there doesn't seem to be the, the expenditure cutting zeal that you need in order to avoid having a 12 billion tax rise. You might not agree, but I would scrap HS2 as well, because currently it's estimated to cost £106 billion. You know, it'll be double that, because it always is when it's a public sector project of that scale. And what's the point of it anyway? But that's a conversation for another time, Craig. (laughs) I think it probably is. I think it probably is. I mean, you do have procurement, which is, you know, as long as you have the expenditure, I think you should make sure that small businesses can get a good chunk of it. So we're probably a slightly different view on that one. Yeah, but they'll probably get, it'll probably all be built with Chinese steel or something ridiculous, Greg. That's my worry. Mm. I mean, you've got to make sure business in Britain gets to build as much as it can and supply as much as it can. Yeah. And, and, you know, High Speed 2 has a commitment to do that, and the key is, will it be delivered? Mm. Uh, I don't, I don't want to, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure I'd cancel. I think I would just improve how it's done. All right, that's Craig Bowman. He's Chief of External Affairs at the Federation of Small Businesses. Thanks so much for joining us. Visit mailplus.co.uk to listen to The Andrew Pearce Show for free, in full, and our podcast too, and our video series. Don't forget to tell your Alexa speaker to play Daily Mail News. Protesters that held abuse at Sir Keir Starmer outside Parliament have warned all MPs they're no longer safe towards the streets. Some of those involved who accosted the Labour leader in, in Westminster on Monday are members of the militant group Alpha Team Assemble. They've run military-style training sessions in preparation for war on the state. They are anti-vax conspiracists. Some of them, of course, were chanting slogans about Jimmy Savile, which was a great excuse for the Labour Party to say it was all Boris Johnson's fault, which in my view, it wasn't. Uh, joining me to talk about this is the author of The Irrational Ape, Why Flawed Logic Puts It All at Risk and How Critical Thinking Can Save the World. He's Dr David Robert Grimes, uh, no stranger to this podcast. David, I can, if I can call you by your first name, uh, what do you make of this group? Well, it's been pretty grim to witness it, but it's not been surprising for those of us that, that track conspiratorially minded groups. Yeah. So what you actually have is a convergence of different ideologies, but all of them are focused on the idea that there is some conspiracy. They found a common rallying point, but if you look into them, they actually have a kind of diverse set of members in one regard. The only thing that unifies them is a distrust of authority. And that's not uncommon in conspiracy theorists to have an underlying distrust of authority. But as we can see, it leads to pretty grim and horrific scenes. And they rallied around, um, as I understand it, yesterday, they rallied around uh, no restrictions on vaccinations, although we're coming out of most of that now anyway. Some of them were whinging on about Julian Assange, whose face is being deported to the United States, the WikiLeaks founder. But these are pretty unpleasant people, aren't they? Because the way they behaved, uh, it wasn't exactly a peaceful demonstration. They were jostling Starmer, who had to be bundled into a police car. The language also was abominable. Absolutely. And it, it's the one positive of this, is it's kind of shining a light on this behaviour. This behaviour has existed for a long time. I have to admit that I'm no stranger to being on the receiving end of it. You should yeah. check my emails occasionally. They're pretty unpleasant. Yeah. But it has shown people what 
these groups are like. Again, they feel that they're justified in this kind of aggression. Now, you you mentioned that they, they, they're rallying around the, the, the vaccine restrictions. Mm. We actually saw very similar things during the anti-mask protests last year in the, yes. the distant uh, miasma of last year. Mm. And you also see something very interesting. You see figures from both the hard left and the hard right kind of finding a common purpose. And that shouldn't surprise us because we saw that with the anti-mask protests as well. Again, the unifying thing is an anti-authority stance. And this can lead to violence. Indeed, it has led to violence in the past. And that's something we have to be very, very cognizant of. They also, um, one of the people involved was identified as Michael Chavez. He's a former paramedic, for heaven's sake, um, who's targeted hospitals. He doorstepped the home of the uh, television and radio presenter Jeremy Vine. He's called on activists to target vaccine centres and schools. And here's, doesn't it say it all, he's got a Telegram channel called Mad Mix Conspiracies. Yeah, yeah. And again, one of the appeals for for people like him is that the situation we're in, I mean, this this is the first pandemic of the information age, the first major world pandemic of the information age. And it's given a platform. It's allowed these people to go from obscurity into um, the cultural consciousness because everyone is affected by the pandemic and it has allowed these people to find an audience as you mentioned he has what 15,000 people on the Mm. telegram channel that's not insubstantial and if the pandemic hadn't been in existence that channel we can only imagine would have been much much smaller so again situations where there's great uncertainty or great unrest these are naturally occurrences where conspiracy theorists can really gain traction. And again, they can become dangerous, and they have in the past. So it's something that I I don't think should be readily dismissed. And also, I think there's always very worrying when they target the media. Look, you can understand to some point, if it's a peaceful protest targeting politicians, why do you target them? Why shoot the messenger? Why turn up at the door of Michael Gove? They also uh, harassed the Newsnight political editor, Nick Watt, they're shooting themselves in the foot, aren't they? Well, to an extent. But that's only if you view them from our relatively, perhaps, rational middle-of-the-road yes. vantage point. Yeah. From their vantage point, they're creating a buzz around themselves. That's right. one thing they're doing. Yeah. And the other thing is, they have no no truck with what we would call the, 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 the traditional media, which they would disparagingly refer to as the mainstream media. Yes. They're not interested in that. They're interested in using, in particular, social media to amplify their voices. And when they do these outlandish, outrageous things, it garners them traction. Sure, it might get them the condemnation of, of most people who would be watching, say, BBC or ITV or whatever have you, but for the audience they're aiming at, who are extremely online... This plays very well. So it, 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 they're not playing by the same rules of a game. And that's why, why we would say that to, to the, the average person that might seem like shooting yourself in the foot, these kind of stunts actually get more people to rally to their side. I guess the more infamous the, be- the, the, the more infamous they are, the more, the more um, traction they get. And I know one woman has been arrested. Uh, uh, this was after, I, I'm not saying it was her, but there was a, a cone thrown at a police officer, but she's been arrested. She's only known as Nina. She's been released on bail, and she says she wants to seek a jury trial so she can um, have a platform, which is the, probably the last thing we want to give give people like this. Well, they're, I mean, it, it is interesting to, to, that they do that. They enjoy the platform. And one yeah. of the biggest things that, that confuses people, conspiracy theorists, 
is there's a few different things psychologically that motivate them. But one of the big things that motivates conspiracy theorists who seek to evangelize their views is a streak of pretty malignant narcissism. It's because it makes them feel like a guru. It gives them a social center. It gives them attention. So a lot of this is, you know, to, to simplify it down, is attention-seeking behavior. And unfortunately, these kind of stunts will, will, will definitely get it. Yeah, and of course, I'm saying we, it's a platform, but I know we as the media will, uh, mainstream media, call us that, we will cover Nina's trial because um, that's our job. Absolutely. And, and of course, that they, they're always being attempts to, to weaponize that as well. It, it's a strange one because it has to be covered, but it has to be covered in such a way that it doesn't unnecessarily glorify them. Um, and it, it's a hard balance. I mean, it, it, we, we live in a strange new world of, uh, of informational hygiene being all over the place. And social media has definitely made these kind of groups. Uh, it makes it easy for them to recruit and easy for them to organize in ways that maybe 20 years ago would have been unheard of. Absolutely. That's Dr. David Robert Grimes, uh, cancer researcher, and he's author of the very fine The Irrational Ape. Thanks for joining us. Visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. If you want to get in touch, tweet us at mailplus or me at Tory Boy Pierce. So male suicide rates, worryingly, have hit a two-decade high. That was in 2020. Men are now making up three-quarters of registered suicide deaths that year. This is according to figures from the Office for National Statistics. Now, some campaigners argue that toxic masculinity is to blame and that men should be encouraged to open up more and talk about their feelings. Male Plus columnist Charlie Peters thinks that a more complex conversation about masculinity is needed in the battle to do with men's mental health. Charlie joins me now. Charlie, twas ever thus, wasn't it, that more men, particularly younger men, take their own lives? Why is that the case? Well, it's definitely the case that um, more of us take our own lives, but it's not necessarily that more of us attempt suicide. It is, um, it is the case, I think, that more women attempt suicide, but uh, men are just better at killing themselves than women, it seems. Right. Um, but, but there is definitely a, a, a problem with uh, male suicide at those numbers, and especially when you consider kind of the demographics of those who are doing it. They tend to be young, working-age men, predominantly under 40, uh, and often from backgrounds where their opportunities to work have been slighted and they no longer find themselves feeling useful. This, I think, this feeling of uselessness is at the core of the problem. It's less about toxic masculinity and more about good virtues going to waste. How many men are, I mean, just what are the figures of how many men are killing themselves on average each year? It's, it's in the low four figures. So it's, you know, um, thousands a year, basically, in the UK. Um, but but it, is the leading, it is the leading killer of, uh, of men under 40. And it's, why do you think it's getting worse? Well, I think the, the problem is, is that we increasingly live in a society where the feminine virtues and values are appreciated and praised, but male values of stoicism and, and strength and... Um, of action over conversation are treated as 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 uh, as unhealthy and things that you should avoid. And so, as society increasingly becomes more feminine, masculine virtues are put aside, and we're told to be more like women in order to improve our mental health. Clearly, this doesn't work for all men, or indeed, I'd contend most men. Um, 
we're different, uh, generally speaking, to women when it comes to um, how we are wired in our bodies, in our minds. And uh, we, we're we always told to, to talk up, to speak more, and to share our problems with our friends. This is the, the key to feeling better. But actually, we need to do a lot more than just that. Um, we need to talk about why we are feeling upset, not just admit that we are feeling upset. And um, much of that comes down to, as I said, that feeling of uselessness, that um, we don't have direction increasingly in jobs and, and styles of work and living that don't really benefit um, a masculine way of life. And so there's no surprise that men are increasingly feeling separated and, and miserable when it comes to their approach to society. And, uh, you know, one of the things you say is we've got to talk about this more now, and you talk about your own personal experience in your article, which is very, which is mm. fascinating. You said about your own wobble at university in 2017, you turned to professional therapy for support. Now, did you tell people you were doing that or was it um, hush hush because you're a bloke and blokes aren't supposed to need that sort of help? Well, that's the thing. Everyone keeps talking about the stigma surrounding um, mental health and getting support. But I think this is a, a hugely um, over-discussed and untrue uh, perspective. I don't think the stigma really exists anymore. Um, and all these people are focusing on removing stigma instead of actually directing the conversation into what men really need. I think plenty of men are very good at opening up, but once they do, no one really wants to actually listen. No one's prepared to have the much broader conversation about why men are feeling this way. No one wants to admit, I think, that the masculine virtues for which we are you know, known to possess mm. um, are denigrated and are, are, are pushed aside in favour of the more feminine and uh, you know, the more gentle way of life. Yeah, and, and, and the point you're saying as well, that um, it's all very well sharing your, your struggles, exposing your frailties, talking about it, but actually it's clearly not working because male suicide rates... That's the whole point about your piece, is hit mm -hmm. a two-decade high. Precisely. And um, I think, actually, the last thing we need to be doing is talking more in general. Actually, stoicism and the stiff upper lip for a lot of men is the only thing they've got left. Um, they've been stripped away of their traditional forms of work, their traditional position in the family, in society, and all sorts of other ways. And actually, the stiff upper lip is, for many men, um, the, last, uh, the last foundation of masculinity they cling on to. And to tell them now that actually you need to be a blabbering mess who opens up every time you feel sad, I don't think this is the right way to go about it. Instead, there should be more of a focus on, on why men are feeling this way, not just forcing them to speak about it. What's Prince Harry contributed to this? Because, of course, he's made quite an issue now of talking about mental health and apparently he, he struggled with his mental health when he was mm -hmm. growing up. And uh, I have to I declare an interest here. I'm no fan of Prince Harry. I think he's behaved abominably over the last few years. But has he made things better or worse? Because, of course, he's widely praised for speaking out against uh, uh, the taboo subjects. But um, I suspect you don't think perhaps he necessarily has brought any great advance advancement for blokes yeah absolutely well i mean the mentality of prince harry and those like him is the antithesis of my own approach of what i think men need it isn't just to be vulnerable and open and discuss mm. it's to seek a way of life that makes you feel happy that gives you an, an opportunity to be busy and useful and gives you purpose i mean it seems that prince harry gets purpose from taking millions, hundreds of millions of dollars from Spotify and producing no work. But um, that's one way of uh, getting some sort of drive and some satisfaction from your life. But a lot of men, if they were um, previously not, you know, not capable for the HR industry or for the service sector, they need, um, they need to find meaning in, in alternative avenues. And they're not going to find it just by talking about how upset they are. They'll find it through work, 
family, love, hobbies. And these are all important things that men need and are often denigrated and pushed aside. You know you're going to get a lot of flack for this on social media. Well, I mean, uh, you know, that's part of life being a male columnist, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I get flack every episode, no matter what I say. Absolutely, or do. It absolutely. Get, it goes with the territory, and I couldn't give a hoot. Um, so yeah. um, do you think um, more men are waking up to your way of seeing things, Charlie, or not? I think they are, but unfortunately, there are very few mainstream people making this argument, and instead, the only times that men come across this stuff, it's from you know, strange masculine grifters who write books about being more like, you know, gorillas and lions and you should take these supplements and do these deadlifts and the the masculine industry, as it were, is a very strange space. So I hope that um, my column does a small bit in forcing more normal voices to open up on this and instead of people who are trying to sell them pills and special protein shakes. And we can have a, a more mainstream, more considerate conversation about what men need. Well, I think you're very courageous in saying it, and I rather agree with you, Charlie, too. That's um, Charlie Peters has written a terrific piece from L Plus today about men and depression and these very worrying uh, increases in suicide rates. Thanks for joining us, Charlie. Deputy Sports Editor Tim Nichols has just walked into the studio when there's lots to talk about in sport, and even I'm exercised by this. Tim, what possessed West Ham to put Kurt Zuma? on the pitch the cat kicker it defies belief really that yeah. after all of the 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 sort of outrage that everyone felt um whether you're a football fan or a, or an animal lover or yeah. not it doesn't matter who you are no. everyone had a there was a universal reaction to seeing yeah. that video it seemed like an absolute no-brainer for yeah. a premier league club we won't pick him for this game yeah let it die down. It's yeah, not not lessening the importance of it and, and the significance of it. But you 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 move. You know we we see it all the time with different issues. Of course, things calm down. But to play him last night was a really badly misjudged decision. In yeah. uh, you know, in many people's opinion, the fact that West Hammer now conducting an internal investigation into the video. We've all seen the video. There's well, no well, nuance. What's, what's to, to investigate? Well, exactly. He should be prosecuted they've by said, the RSPCA. He should be. Uh, they've said that um, it, it, you know that, that any fines will be donated to animal welfare charities. Fair enough. Mm. But last night, manager David Moyes, who you know is a very experienced yeah. manager, you know, doing a fantastic job with West Ham. Yeah claiming that he's one of the better players and therefore that's why I picked him. And yet we are hearing reports um, today that West Ham are going to not make him available for the weekend game against Leicester, which (laughs) suggests that they realise they've got it spectacularly Spectacularly wrong last night. Watford fans who were at the London Stadium last night to see their team play West Ham were as you can imagine, as I football heard, fans I would heard be. some of the chants. Singing, which, um, singing some things. But, you know, and of course, you know, that raises a smile and people mm. joke about it. But this is a serious issue. This mm. is a animal cruelty. We've all seen it. It, it. You know, it's a shocking video. Shocking. Uh, and it's, a defenceless uh, animal. It's, you know, the, the general view, w- whether it's sport or not, is the utter disbelief that West Ham thought would be okay yeah. to play him last night. I thought, I heard some of the interview with David Moyes. I thought, you can't think any of this. You can't no. thought any of this through and I guess the Leicester match Tim will be at Leicester's ground where every time he's near the ball the place is going to erupt isn't it? Of course and that's that's the nature of it and and, you know when when players are um, anything that players do whether when it makes the front pages Mm. fans are unforgiving uh that's no reason not not to pick him in in future. He's got this is going to follow him around for the rest of his career. You yeah. imagine because yeah, yeah. football fans don't forget yeah. uh, and they use anything they can to yeah. to sort of have a go at opposition players. But 
West Ham could have handled this very differently. The fact that they are, from what we hear, considering not making him available mm. for the weekend, says to me they realise they got it spectacularly yeah. wrong. I read, I think I read in our paper today, Tim, that um, he's French, this horrible man, and if, he, if this had happened in France, where he presumably started his career... He faced such a prison sentence mm. up to four years. Yeah. Yeah. And yet West Ham thought it was appropriate to put him on the pitch in a televised match. Uh, incredible. And also the fact that, as I understand it, the Met are not going to investigate it. So, uh, you know, it's well, all there for us. Uh, there, there we are, credited Dick, proving yet again why she's absolutely the worst Metropolitan Police Commission we've ever had. Well, um, uh, I think the RSPCA will prosecute him. It's it's going gangbusters on. Well, they, they, have, they have seized the cat's in the uh, you know this afternoon oh, have they? they have oh good they have because so, i suspect he's done it before well that's the suspicion it, it's that that is a suspicion and that's a natural sort of conclusion to to make once you've once you've seen that it's yeah. you know this is all we've seen but you know what led up to that what what was and what's it, it been like and, what's and, the and life it, of those cats been like i mean and, it's a remarkable and, situation and this clown obviously thought it was funny enough to have it uploaded to the internet because he thought well, people would think it was funny well that's the really incredible thing social media once again the downfall of so many people it's incredible that these things are filmed but i'm glad they're filmed because yeah, it shows you, you know that, that these things you can't get away with it and no. um you know zuma you know he's he is he's a he's been a very good signing as a player mm. for West Ham, but this is a real um, blot on his copybook. And West Ham have handled it badly. That's the thing. And, and they could have taken him out of the firing line. Yeah. He could have he could have made donations to animal charities. He could have been you know very contrite and. But to put him on the pitch there last night just because he's one of West Ham's better players was a no. serious misjudgment. I was in the office quite late last night and I, when I heard someone saying he was that's him on the pitch, I said, you're joking. He can't be on the pitch. Incredible. I thought it was inconceivable. I know. Well, that's, there'll be a lot more about that in the Mail Sports pages tomorrow and possibly at the front of the book too. Now also, um, uh, Tim, big story cricket. Even I know mm. uh, Anderson and Broad, these are stalwarts of the England test side. Absolutely. They've been dropped. They have been dropped, although uh, it's a, England are saying it's not the end, but Jimmy Anderson's 39, yeah. Stuart Broad's 36. Yeah. That's what cricket fans are wondering. Is mm. this the end? It seems a pretty unceremonious way of doing it to two absolute legends of English cricket and, and world cricket. They've been yeah. fantastic players. Did they play badly in that Ashes um, um, disaster? Well, losing four no, out of five. Nobody played well. Right. I didn't think that they were fine. You know, right. Jimmy Anderson's never had a particularly great record down under. Stuart Broad actually ha had a pretty good tour when he was picked. Right. Um, the problem really on the during the Ashes there were, there were many, but was was more the batting than the bowling. And so it seems a slightly odd move. I understand that you know the guys need a bit of a rest, but at the same time. England have it's been a long time since England have picked their strongest test 11 mm. and if you're going to watch England whether it's at Lords the Oval Old Trafford Headingley wherever it is or on tour you want to see the strongest England team yeah. and they've picked by leaving out these two I think they're shortchanging fans. I think they've probably not treated the players. We understand that the players are very disappointed, mm. to put it mildly, Broad and Anderson. Couldn't they keep them in the squad and just maybe not play them every time? Well, that's what they did in the Ashes, yeah. and, and, and they could. But the fact is they're still England's best two bowlers. Right. And I therefore, thought. given we've just had a shock, we had a bad summer, mm. we've had a shocking tour of Australia, Yeah. We haven't got a very good record in the West Indies. Uh, no. In fact, we've not we've not beaten them there since 2004. Uh, ironically enough, without Jimmy and, and Broad. But 
it's, it, they, it seems a very odd decision to leave these two out. There's, uh, and if this is the end, it doesn't seem right that they haven't had the chance mm. to sort of have a have Whose a proper send off. Well, it's it, a selectors. It, yeah, I mean, Andrew Strauss has come in. Right. Um, it, there's been a, there's been huge upheaval uh, mm. within English cricket over the last week or so. Mm. The managing director Ashley Giles has gone. Yeah. Chris Silverwood, coach of the Ashes team, has gone. His mm. assistant. Um, uh, Graham Thorpe has gone. Right. They've got rid of eight players from the squad. Mm. Uh, there are others. It's not just Broad and Anderson that have lost mm. their places. So there's been a, there's been a lot of turnover. But at the same time, these are two stalwarts of English cricket. They're still England's best two bowlers, and it seems like a very odd decision. And particularly if this is the end, that they haven't had a proper send off, which they, yeah. you know, look in in elite sport, you can't always end the way you want to. But with these guys, I think they deserve the opportunity to bowl again in England, get a proper send-off. I think they will play for England again, which makes it even more of a strange decision not to yeah, pick them for this West Indies tour. And when, when does the tour start? Starts uh, beginning of March. You know I'll be glued to every bit of it, obviously. Of course, like always, Andrew. <laughs> Deputy Sports Editor Tim Nichols. always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. So Adele, she blew away the competition at the Brit Awards yesterday where she won three out of the four main prizes. She won Artist of the Year, or is it Artiste, as it's the first time going genderless, and pointedly said, I love being a woman, as she collected the award. Joining me now is the Mel's showbiz correspondent, Emma Powell. Well, this is a great news for her after the PR disaster having to withdraw from the big showcase in Vegas or was it LA where yeah, she was Las Vegas. Las yeah. Vegas. I mean this was a this was a, a triumphant comeback for her and uh, and hopefully it's deflected from uh, the catastrophe that was cancelling her Las mm. Vegas gigs and you know she won three awards. Yeah. The most coveted awards of the evening. Yeah. She performed on stage which you know it's she doesn't perform that often and she's cancelled right. the gigs. And she and, sounded pretty good. Yep, she did. And she was wearing a huge rock on her wedding finger. Yes. So that's definitely hit the headlines today yeah. as well. So we speculate, do we, that uh, if it's a big rock and it was a big rock and it also was on that finger yeah. that she's perhaps engaged to that guy she's been stepping out with? Yeah, Rich Paul. They've been to, rumoured to have been together for about a year now. Right. So um, a lot of people obviously couldn't miss that uh, sparkler on her no. finger yesterday. No comment from her team or her, uh, obviously. Even she knew that huge attention would of be of course yeah she knows what she's doing now she won three awards um uh, by shouting out i love being a female artist i imagine she's already being attacked on social media for not being whatever she's supposed to be yeah i mean it's gone gender neutral yeah. she's got up and she said i love being an, an, a woman i love being a female artist yeah. obviously there's a bit of a trans row going on oh, some people please. have leveled allegations of is she a turf she could be what's a turf mean? Trans exclusionary radical feminist. Oh, she's just a woman singer who won the be one best artist award, isn't she? Yeah, and I mean, I think it is important that you know yeah. she she is a woman. She yeah. would have had struggles that she perhaps wouldn't have had if she was a male singer to yeah. get where she is today. Yeah, and I don't think that is uh, warrants being levelled sort of allegations of you're a transphobe now. Exactly. I hope she's not going to put out some statement later on saying I just it just just for the point of clarification, I need to say. Well, people are pleading with her online to not apologise for this. She I mean, shouldn't. there is there is a trans route, but yeah. actually, if you look, yeah. the divide is pretty much like eighty percent in defence of her comment Good. last night, and about twenty percent just saying, yeah. you know, she could cause some hatred here. Oh, of course she couldn't. I love being a bloke, Emma. Yeah. I really do, and uh, uh, and I'm a gay bloke too. But I just love being a bloke. Um, she she is 
fabulous, isn't she? I mean, she is at the top of her game, that yeah. big album, huge seller, wasn't it? Yeah, and, and she did, uh, She picked, well, I think that was the last award of the night for her album of the year, for 30. Yeah. And she did actually pay quite a nice tribute to her husband, obviously, because... Yeah. The, the album is about her divorce and yes. you know she said thanks to my son Angelo for being yeah. so gracious yeah. so yeah it was a really nice moment for her and um Ed Sheeran would he have been disappointed I mean yeah he was he was up for I think it was four awards he didn't get any of them mm. apart from the new songwriter of the year right so there's a brand new award that he so he didn't go home empty-handed no. but he missed out on all the big ones because of Adele, essentially. And, and he'll certainly never get an award for best dress. What the hell was that suit he was wearing? Oh, my God. I it mean, was I don't an interesting one. I these things normally, but what was it? What colour was it? Purple? Sort of uh, electric blue, I well, think. Electric blue was velour it? or velvet. It was hideous. I mean, it wasn't all the All that worst. money and no taste. Yeah. It wasn't the worst? Who was worse than that? Uh, I mean... <sighs> A lot of the, I'm not going to name names, but a lot of the women, a lot of the women, I'm not a big fan of the whole, let's cut every panel out yeah. and just have sheer, just because it's not a look that I could I could go for. No, okay. Now, we better mention the other winner, uh, best group, Wolf Alice. Yeah, I mean... Are they British? American? Yes, British, British. female-led. I think they're North London-based. Um Obviously, the Brits has become very sort of poppy yeah. in recent years. So it's yeah. quite nice to see an yeah. act that doesn't fit that sort of like yeah. classic pop. Okay. And then um, songwriter Ed Sheeran, of course. Yeah. Best pop R&B. I don't know how to pronounce her name. Dua Lipa? Dua Lipa. Dua Lipa. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's she's had, this is adding to her awards hall. Right. She's had quite a few. Okay. But she wasn't there on the night to pick it up. Okay. Is, yeah. she, is she American or British? British. I wonder what? Well, they are the Brits, after yeah. all. An international song, Olivia Rodrigo. Yeah, for good for you. Is she so, good? Yeah, I quite like the song. Yeah, okay. big with TikTok fans. Was it was it good to have that lots of people back, people there? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there were still COVID restrictions. There weren't right. as many sort of tables with mm. dinner as usual. It was just the right. sort of nominees down on the floor having okay. dinner at the tables. Right. But yeah, it's good to have a crowd back. And the Brit School were, were bringing all the energy last night at the front. Well, terrific stuff. Read every, read every word of it. That is Emma Powell. And let's just hope Adele sticks to her guns because she loves being a female artist. No need for clarification, please. Thank you, Emma. Lovely. That is the male showbiz correspondent, Emma Powell. That's all we've got time for today. For the latest from the Daily Mail, download the Mail Plus app. Every weekday at 5pm, you can listen to me all over again. I'm Andrew Pierce. This is The Andrew Pierce Show. I'll be back tomorrow. Have yourselves a great evening and good night. <laughs>